You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. But it's amazing to think that 2,000 years ago, but that we're celebrating something that started then, you know. And we think back in, in our area, New York and New England, that uh, it's amazing that our country, you know, fought a battle and we won our independence back in 17, you know, 76 to 1783. And that was only a little over a couple hundred years ago. We're celebrating remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago that has touched millions and millions of lives around the globe this morning. So this morning, is we, we've had fun with the kids with the eggs, and it's uh, certainly a celebration. We want to take just a minute and, and consider the, what this weekend has meant to so many people down through the ages, and that's really the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new life that he gives to us when we have a relationship with him. You know, it has been said uh, before that the only two things you can depend on in life, what are death and what? Taxes. There's a third thing I think that we could probably all agree, and that is if you live life very long on this earth, you're going to run into some crises along the way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Honest to goodness, things that you did not bank on. We have, we experience death in our families. We, we bury children. We go through incredible diseases. We go through traumatic things from losing our job to losing relationships. We know if you live very long, every single one of us in this room have experienced various crises in our life. And I want us this morning to think about what it, how do we have courage in the middle of that crisis. We're starting a new series in the book of Daniel. And what we do at River, if you're, you're new to our church, is we, we just simply every week open a portion of uh, the Bible and we dig out the truths that God has for us, things that apply to our life, that speak to us, that help us to know how to live our life. And this morning, as we talk about Daniel, I'm going to share with you how Jesus' death and resurrection fits within that framework. So if you would, turn with me just for a minute. It will not be long. I don't mind the kids playing. We meant this to be a family-friendly event, so bathrooms are behind me, playgrounds that way. So make yourself at home. But let's take just a few minutes and open uh, the book of, of Daniel and open the Word of God. So read with me, if you would, just for the first few verses in Daniel 1. It'll be on the screen, certainly, as, as most of you, I'm sure, unless you have a phone out, your Bibles are at home or in the car. But read with me, Daniel 1. It says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. That would be uh, Babylon, or what today we know is the country of Iraq. And he, he brought those vessels into the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So get the picture. God's people Israel have been conquered. The enemy came in, an enemy that served a different God, a God by the name of Marduk, conquered Jerusalem, deported many people, and took some of the, the, the things that God had set apart for worship for himself. And in that world, that's kind of like your team beating the other people's team. Like you got victory. And so they take out of Jerusalem and go back to their land. These, these uh, various vessels that they used in worship, we won't go into details. We don't have time this morning. So if you're a Jew, this is really bad news. Your country just got completely conquered, and your God got totally trashed in front of the other team's God. Read on with me in the story. Then the king commanded 
Ashpenaz, his king, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That would have been, again, the Babylonian people. The king assigned them daily portion of the food that they, the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them today as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they were of the tribe of Judah. I'm going to stop there. Pray with me, would you, for a second? Father, thank you for such a beautiful morning. Lord, we give you credit for this day. Truly, every day belongs to you. But Father, we're especially grateful that the rain came through and held off and that you've given us a wonderful morning to be together on this Easter Sunday to celebrate your son's resurrection, victory over sin and death, our sin and death. And God, I pray that you'd help me to just explain simply and clearly the truths of your word. Help us to know that we can have courage in life and how Jesus' resurrection helps us in that to truly change our life. Father, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all will face crises in our life. You have either come through a crisis or about to face a crisis or in the middle of one right now. Daniel and his three friends, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were people living in Israel. They were of noble family, and their country was just completely vanquished. That doesn't happen without significant bloodshed. And when the story that we just read is Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were deported. We don't think of them as 40 or 50-year-olds. Daniel most likely was 15 years old. These are teenagers taken from home, taken from mom and dad, living in a foreign country, foreign culture, foreign food, people they don't know, taken away who had full authority over their life, had no clue if they were going to be sold into slavery their entire life, what exactly was going to happen. You and I face crises in lives, but I would be willing to say most of us won't ever face those kinds of crises. Maybe a few of you will, but most of us won't. So as we read this story, this is bad news for Daniel and his friends. They would be in a place of wondering, where is God? I thought we were God's chosen people. I thought God loved us. I thought God established Jerusalem as the center of the universe, was going to show himself strong for his people. Why has God abandoned us? Why, why has all of this awful things happened? That's the picture that's going on. You and I, when we're in the middle of crises... We ask a lot of those same questions, don't we? God, where are you? God, why is this happening? This makes no sense, God. This isn't the life that I expected. This isn't the life that I was planning for. This isn't the life that I went to school for. This isn't, I didn't want this to be going on in my life. Daniel and his friends, I assure you, had all of those experiences and emotions, and there goes a tent, so... Somebody, if you would, take care of all the tents out there <laughs> so we don't happen again. We do not want to end up in the evening news for the uh, church and, you know, that met at Tawasintha and, yeah. We don't want to give job security to the emergency department there, so uh, we'll just keep moving. So put yourself in the shoes of Daniel and his friends that day. 
living day after day in a land that was not their own, in a job that they were not planning on, relationships that they had not bargained for, missing home, and the crisis that they went through. Rule number one is, is when you are in the middle of a crisis, if you're going to face that crisis, you need to look up and need to realize that God is in control. If you're going to have courage to face tomorrow the things that you are involved in today, you have to have courage, and you will not have the courage that you need unless you really come to grips with the fact that God is truly in control of the things around you that you have no control over. Daniel and his friends had zero control of what was going on in their life. They had zero control of what happened in the kingdom. They had zero control of what happened in their life because God had given his, their king, Jehoiakim, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. That was God's doing. You see, visibly it looked like Nebuchadnezzar, this other kingdom, was in control. But the story that God is giving us is, is that no matter how it looks, the situation that you're in, no matter their circumstances, no matter what is going on around you, that you and I need to look up and have a confidence to know that while we may not understand the things that are going on around us, and though they may be extremely painful, we need to realize that there's a God in heaven who is fully in control of everything around us. You see, God was the one who gave, the, the Bible says, that Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. God is somebody that you never take anything from. You can't ever rob God. You can't ever take anything away from God. He can give you things, and he can take things away, but you can never take anything away from him. When Jesus our Lord died on the cross, his apostles were thinking the same thing that Daniel and his friends were thinking. You see, Jesus was their hero. Today, we would, would have said a hero. They believed he was the Messiah, the Savior. They put all their hopes in him. They believed he was the one that was going to bring God's kingdom on this earth. He was the one that walked on water. He was the one that fed the 5,000. He was the one that spoke grace into the lives of people. He was the one that, that they saw themselves in the mirror and saw their sin and felt the shame. But Jesus peeled that away from them. And when their hero died on the cross, even though Jesus explained it to them it was coming, it blew their minds. They had lost all hope. Jesus told them that was coming, but they, like most of us, are a little slow on the uptake. They didn't get it. And so on Good Friday, they absolutely were living in a world of incredible crisis. We look back, and we know that Sunday's coming. We know that Friday had to happen, that for you and I to be saved from our sins, that Jesus had to pay the penalty of our sins on the cross. There had to be a sin substitute because our sins have earned us death. The only way you and I could be forgiven if somebody stood in our shoes, literally took the penalty for us that we earned. And Jesus did that as the perfect sacrifice for us. So Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, couldn't happen without Good Friday. And just like Daniel, Jesus' friends were absolutely uh, blown away wondering what in the world is going to happen. They had lost all hope. They were confused. They didn't know what to think when they had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and do all kinds of miracles, but yet he couldn't take care of himself. You see, when Jesus died on that cross, nobody took his life from him. He gave it up freely. 
Jesus taught us earlier before. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I want us to realize this morning that nobody took Jesus' life from him. Oh, I know he was crucified on the cross. He died still to this day, the most awful, imaginable uh, form of execution that has ever been invented in all of humanity. But he gave his life willingly. In fact, before he died, he said, Father, into, my, into thy hands, old King James says, I commend my spirit. Father, nobody else is sending me to you. Father... I'm giving up my life myself, and I'm coming to you. Just like the apostles learned on Resurrection Sunday that even though their future looked incredibly bleak, God was in control. I want to challenge you this morning that if you're going to have courage in the middle of your crisis, in the, the heat of the moment, whether that's right now, whether that's tomorrow, or next week, or next year, that you need to look up and first off, say, God, I know you're in control. Because I know you're in control, I can trust you. I can turn to you, and I have hope in that future. One more thing that I want to share with you this morning before we finish and, and our team comes back up and sings again. I want you to also recognize that when God is, even though God is in control, that if you and I are to live a courageous life, in the middle of crisis, God expects us to act faithfully, and he expects us to act obediently. I want you to notice something in this story. In verse 8, the Bible says this, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Get the picture. There was this court official who was responsible for all of these recent captives. And the king of Babylon, they were smart as they conquered countries. They would bring out the brightest and best to make their country stronger. And this court official was responsible to, uh, for the several years to feed these guys well, to teach them, to give them best education in the land. And they literally had the food from the king's table. But Daniel said, no offense, he said, I, I don't want to defile myself with the food that's coming from the king. And look what the verse, verse 9 says. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, that court official. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Get the picture. The court official said, what are you talking about? If I don't feed you the good stuff that the other guys are eating, the king's going to see, like, why are you guys so scrawny and skinny and look awful? And he's afraid that he's going to lose his life. You know, it, this is a little side thing, but the Bible really is true, written in history. This story was written like 3,000 years ago, and they know, they knew back then that you are what you eat. How many of you know that today? For better or worse, yeah, you're probably regretting the popcorn or the candy or whatever. Sorry, Mom and Dad, by the way, for all the sugar rush your kids are going to go home with. But you, this is a silly little thing, but for real, this is 3,000 years ago, and they knew you are what you eat, that it reflects in your body. And so... The king's, uh, the court official said, I don't want to be in trouble when you're not looking so good because you haven't been eating good food. And look what Daniel said to him. Then Dan I, I, we won't read it. Let me just tell you a story. So Daniel says, okay, here's the deal. 
Instead of giving us the choice meat and the best cuts of meat and the filet mignon and all of that and the best wine in the land and all of the wonderful things that the world, that the Babylon has to offer, just give us some veggies and some water. And you come back and see how we look compared to everybody else. Second little side note here, by the way, Christians, God wasn't trying to give us a really cool diet plan here, all right? You've probably heard of the Daniel fast. Like, like for real. Okay, if you want to do that, but he's not telling us we need to go vegan and drink water. It's okay. New Testament, he told Peter, he showed Peter all kinds of meat that you could eat, stuff that you and I probably would not want to eat, and he told him, hey, eat that. So God's not creating a new, really cool set of diet rules. If you want to do the diet, Daniel plan, fine. But it's really not a biblical silver bullet to like how to lose weight, all right? So just kind of chill on that, okay? Here's the deal. The reason why the king's food was defiled was because the king of Babylon was a major religious guy. They worshipped an idol called Marduk. In fact, he was so into it, he named his own son after that after that idol. The king's meat would have all been offered up to that idol in worship. And so when that food was coming down to Daniel, he knew that it wasn't just a matter he was getting a nice dinner. It was a part of a worshipful experience that he was giving credence to another god. And, he, and the same with the wine. It was that way. They didn't care about water. They didn't care apparently about Brussels sprouts and broccoli and everything else. And Daniel was saying this. I don't want to compromise my spiritual faith by bowing down and worshiping another idol and being a part of it. And so he wanted to keep himself pure. Here's the point number two, and I'm finished with this. If you're going to live courageously in the middle of a crisis, you still need to live faithfully and obediently to God. I don't care if you lose your job. I don't care if you're in a job or if you're a person of faith that you feel that's somewhat hostile to your faith. Daniel was in that environment. Well, Sean, all he had to do was just ask to have a different set of dinner. No, you don't understand. We're dealing with kings here that kill you just for looking wrong at them, just for speaking the wrong thing at the wrong time. Daniel knew that literally what he was doing could have cost him his life. He knew that the stakes were high. He was going out on a limb saying, God, I'm going to trust you, but I want to do what's right. I, I, I could be seen as a, a subversive. I could be seen as somebody who's a, uh, going to undermine the, the kingdom and the king. But God, I want to honor you in my heart. Amazing. Again, these are, these are thank you, Gary. These are teenagers, again, making incredible stands of their faith. I got that too, Gary. Thank you. And stepping forward standing strong, faithfully, and obediently before God. I want to challenge us this morning that when you're in the middle of the crisis, when you're in the middle of the trial of life, when you're in the middle of those difficulties, that's not a time where you and I sit back and just rely on ourselves. That in the middle of those trials, in the middle of those difficulties, in the middle of living out your Christian faith in a world that is completely countercultural, that's where... Daniel and his friends were, a world that was not interested in their God, a world that was not interested in the true God of heaven. They lived faithfully, obediently, transparently. They weren't obnoxious. They weren't jerks. They weren't doing things for show, but they lived transparently and quietly before God where it mattered. And in the process, because of that faithfulness and obedience, they had an opportunity 
to live before the God of heaven in front of people that, that God was reaching out to. You see, here's the real story of all of Daniel, and we see it in chapter 1, is God is in control. And even if you're in the middle of your world, it's topsy-turvy, and there's things that are shifting and moving and unstable in your world, you and I can have courage in the middle of that crisis because God is in control of way more than we realize. He is the one that puts kings and presidents in authority, not you and not me. He is the one that oversees and superintends our life, and he's the one that puts us in places, into our jobs, into our situations, because he wants us to shine as a light for him in the middle of that. But it means that we have to be faithful and we have to be obedient, even when nobody else is watching. I can also assure you that there were others from Israel, from Jews who came there, that should have asked to be, had just the vegetables and the water like Daniel did. I guarantee you they faced peer pressure from even their own people. But they stepped forward courageously, faithfully. So this morning, as we think about that, remember back that Jesus is those, when he was crucified and he rose again, all of those followers that came in the years after him, they faced unbelievable persecution when it would have been a whole lot easier, more comfortable, more convenient for them to just you know, kind of slip away, but they were crucified. They were killed because they were willing to live in faithfulness and obedience before the God of heaven. And the reason why they were willing to is because they had experienced, they had seen the resurrection, they had experienced the power and the transformation in their own heart, the own changes in their own life that came through that, and they couldn't help but to live, live that out. So this morning, I encourage you to live courageously. Know that God is in control. And secondly, I encourage you to live faithfully and obediently. Some of you here this morning aren't sure really what you believe about God or the Bible. And that's okay. I'm glad that you're here and willing to hang out with us and have some fun and eat some popcorn and, uh, and consider the things of God. Some of you this morning, I want to challenge you that if you've really not taken steps toward God in your heart, I don't mean, I don't mean religiously. People, we're, religion's really not worth a whole lot on this planet, right? It's, it's really about a relationship knowing God personally in your heart. And I want to challenge you to take that next step before you and truly knowing God and truly taking that step for Jesus Christ becoming your Savior and your Lord. Some people have said, well, Sean, I, you know, I, can, I get the idea of God. I, I just need to see a whole lot more proof and a lot more evidence. Fair enough. I wouldn't encourage you to believe anything, commit your life to something without proof and without evidence, just foolishly. So I, I'll make a deal with you. I challenge you. I encourage you. I challenge you. If that's where you are this morning, when our team comes up here and we just we have a song, we're going to kind of have a response song, and it's meant to be a time for you to think a little bit about what we've talked about. But I want to challenge you to pray a prayer, God, like this: God, if you really are out there and real, I, I really want to know that. But God, I really need some evidence. Would you truly help me to know you? I have never seen anybody yet who really wanted to know who God was for God not to answer that prayer. Usually when people say there's not enough evidence and, and they don't take that step, it's because 
eh, it's just a good excuse. They really don't want to deal with God. But if you are at, all, are at all serious wanting to know that, I challenge you to take that step this morning and see what God does in the middle of that. And if you've got questions, I'd be glad to talk with you. It's about who we are at River of Life. But this morning, I want to challenge you to take that next step toward God. So as our music team comes up here, won't you guys stand? I'm going to pray. And uh, we've got a couple more songs, and we're going to finish our morning so you can have your Easter, Easter dinners together. Pray with me, would you? Lord in heaven, I'm grateful for Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins. Thank you for that salvation that you give to everyone freely who admits that they are a sinner before you and admits that there's nothing they can do with it but simply trust that you've done everything that needs to be done. Father, we celebrate you today. Help us to live a life courageously in the middle of crisis because of that faith that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.